you. Thank you. I hope you're doing well. Hope everybody's doing well. How are you doing? Well. Okay, good. I had a pretty full week, but 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 I got I got one of actually dozens of emails, but one uh, on my, one of my personal accounts. I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was a little different. I remember they had to read it twice to really get the the gist of it, and then I got brave and printed it. Anybody else in the room ever get junk mail on their email account? Okay, three of you do. Um, anybody ever get scam stuff, scam mail? Okay, and you just got an idea that that's what it is before you open it. Maybe the subject gives it away or maybe... Anyway, I got this one the other day, and it was one of three that I got that day that were somewhat similar, and some of the names and so on had been changed. But this was directed to me, and... Um, the subject was telegraphic wire transfer payment from Bank of America. It's not even funny yet. Well, I knew it was a scam when I read that it was from the Bank of America, 150 Broadway Avenue, New York, New York. I don't believe there's a Broadway Avenue. But anyway, here's what it said. This is an official notice from the Bank of America in regards to the transfer of your inheritance funds worth $10.5 million United States dollars. Meanwhile, we are very sorry for the delay in this transaction, and I am too. I've been kind of waiting for that to come in, which was as a result of the letter we received from one Mr. David Carter. And if any of you know David Carter, you have him see me as soon as you can. We wish to notify you that a man named Mr. David Carter sent a letter to our bank here in the United States claiming that you are dead. And it's okay for you to laugh. And he stated that before you died, you informed him about your funds worth $10.5 million, which is now in our bank here in the U.S. Note that Mr. David Carter also sent a copy of your death certificate to us. To pr- so somebody hasn't told me something to prove to us that you are dead, as he claimed. I mean, I've gotten hundreds of these over the years, but never anything like this. But we did not believe him because we know that there are so many scam activities going on here. Do <laughs> <laughs> you suppose? As a matter of fact, he also gave us every reason to believe that you are dead. And, and I thought, if I'm dead, why are they sending me a letter? <laughs> and he is ready to take care of whatever it'll cost to get your funds transferred into his own account. Here's the hook. We decided to contact you first, care of Woodbine Cemetery, to be sure that you are dead. (laughs) When you're dead, how do you know for sure if you're dead? Uh, uh, To be sure that you're dead, as he claimed, before releasing your funds, then they have to remind me, worth 10.5 million U.S. dollars. So, are you dead or are you still alive? (laughs) I'm thinking of answering this and saying yes. I am dead or alive. Be informed that we are going to release the funds to Mr. David Carter. Ow! If I could catch him. If you do not respond to us within the next two working days. Ah, please kindly fill all the information below to enable us to transfer your funds to your account before... 
well, what would those funds do for me if I'm dead before Mr. Carter will claim your funds? Of course, name, address, phone number, fax, bank name, address, account number, routing number, and all that. Yeah, so I sent that right off. However, <laughs> we shall proceed to issue all payment details to the said Mr. Carter if we do not hear from you within the next two working days from today. I'll be waiting for your urgent response. Sincerely, Mr. Brian Moynihan, President, Bank of America. Well, I wouldn't be getting a letter from the bank president. Brian Moynihan is the president of um, Bank of America, but uh, I just wanted you to know I've had a great week. And uh, if I seem a little dead this morning, just don't worry about it, okay? Uh, I thought that was a beauty. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to James, that great, great book of James. And we're going down to the third chapter. And we're going to have some of these verses on the screen for you, we hope. Can I say it again today as we've said, I don't know how many weeks now, it seems like in succession, uh, we're having a few technical difficulties, but we're hoping to be able to get over them this morning. And we're not going to let it affect anything. Uh, as the story was told, an angel appeared at a college faculty meeting, and the angel pointed to the dean of the faculty and said, in return for your unselfish and exemplary behavior, since you've been connected with this institution, the Lord wants to reward you, and you have a choice. You can receive infinite wealth, infinite wisdom, or infinite beauty. And without hesitating, the dean selected the infinite wisdom. Infinite wisdom it is, done, said the angel, and disappeared in a cloud of smoke and a bolt of lightning. Now, all heads turned toward the dean. Everybody in that room was so taken by what had just happened. And as they looked at the dean, who was sitting surrounded by kind of a faint halo of light, at length, one of them summoned up enough courage to whisper, Dean, say something. And the dean looked at them and said, I should have taken the money. <laughs> it seems like everybody desires wisdom. People that understand that's what they desire, and people that don't. And by the way, those of you who didn't get that little opening scenario, just go online, download, listen to the podcast, get the, um, you know, get, get the tape, whatever, and listen to it. And it might click with you, because that's going to kind of set the stage for the morning. When God asked Solomon what he desired of all the things in the world that he could have, Solomon chose what? Wisdom. Wisdom, contrary to popular belief in this world and in this culture, wisdom is not what you know. Wisdom is what you do with what you know. Wisdom is not what you know, but what you do with what you know. Now, James tells us clearly that there are two kinds of wisdom. But the truly wise will seek after godly wisdom. And I'll come to that in a moment. So uh, I've picked out 
a, a title for this morning, and I, and I struggled with even giving it a title, but, but I thought, I just want to simplify it and make it real clear. So if you're writing or you're trying to get notes, the title is Choosing Your Wisdom. First, James tells us that we show our wisdom by our behavior. And we're going to put up, I think we are anyway, verse 13 of James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So who is wise anyway? Let me stop for just a moment. I'm going into the middle of a chapter here, in the middle of of a very important part of the letter of James. And and I have to tell you, starting at verse 13, but this is so interesting to me. It hits me every time I go to that page. This comes directly after the section. might even say this if you have a heading Bible, headed, Taming the Tongue. (laughs) Taming the tongue and wisdom are so inextricably linked. It's just unbelievable. So who's wise? James asks the question, who's a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Now the word wise was a technical term used among the Jews of that day, and it meant the wise person, the scribe, uh, the teacher, the rabbi, the learned one. The term endued with understanding describes one who is an expert, who has special knowledge or specific training in an area. In other words, he's talking about someone who actually claims to know what is going on. And again, that's pretty rare today. If you claim to be wise and know what's going on, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. KJV term, the King James Version, uh, uses the word conversation. And that's not restricted to speech. Some people have thought, well, since it follows uh, the taming of the tongue, that it must have something to do with speech. But it really doesn't. In 1611, it possessed the much broader meaning of life conduct, how you conduct yourself, a manner of living, or we call it today behavior. It's not just talking about what you say, but also about what you do. I wonder if you've ever known anyone who claimed to be wise, but who acted foolishly. True wisdom can be measured by the depth of a person's character. And that's what James is saying here in capsule form. Just as you can identify a tree by the type of leaves on it or the type of fruit that it produces, if it does, you can evaluate your wisdom by the way that you act. It doesn't have to be left to anybody's imagination. It can be seen, it can be noticed, it can be identified. So he says to show that you are a wise person by living out a life of meekness that comes from wisdom. When we talk about meekness, and whenever you catch that word, or you hear someone teaching on meekness, or you see it in the Bible, can I just remind you that it has absolutely nothing, that word, to do with weakness? Nothing whatsoever. People say, well, he's so meek and mild. No, you mean weak and mild. Meekness, what does that mean? It means strength under control. I used to call it strength harness for service. 
Meekness is a gentle type of strength. It doesn't have to bully anybody. It doesn't have to blow you over. But there's a depth to it. And I believe the depth is seated in the character of the person. The, the word that we're talking about was used to describe a horse that had been broken and trained. And that horse was trained to submit to the bridle. Now we're talking about a life that shows that it's under the control of the Holy Spirit. A life that not only displays the gifts of the Spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, but also the fruit of the Spirit. And then James says, so let your wisdom show. Wisdom is the power to see. Uh, J.I. Packer in Knowing God said this. This is a quote. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Close quote. I love that. And again, James tells us, excuse the voice, I'm losing it, so we'll keep going as long as we can hold on. As he does through this entire epistle, that the best way to tell someone what God has done in your life is to show them what God has done in your life. You can spend the rest of your days telling them and hopefully get an audience. But the best way to show them and to explain to them and to let them know what God has done and is doing in your life is to show them what God is doing in your life. Now, some, for some people, they just won't listen to what you have to say about Jesus. That's understandable. Some things have never changed in 2,000 years. And they're not going to believe some of those people until you show them what it means to live like Jesus. Even in a church our size, let me just uh, slip from the spiritual into meddling here a little bit. It's not uncommon for me or possibly for Pastor Todd as pastors of the church to have conversations with people outside the church and they're outside any church. And they may be outside the faith for all we know. And they'll mention someone or I'll uh, allude to someone who is in our church. And they'll say, well, I, I don't want anything to do with that person or that family or I wouldn't come to church if they're there, or I wouldn't want to do business with them, or whatever. And I, and I think, whoop, I don't know about that person, if they even realize this is the kind of image that they've left. But you know what? They've hurt themselves, they've hurt the church, they've hurt the cause of Christ, and they are not showing wisdom. The best way, the best way, the, 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 the only surefire way to have people turn and pay attention to the claims of Christ is for you and for me to live like Jesus. Uh, I know it's not that tough to do from 9.30 till 11 o'clock or 11.30 on Sunday morning. I know it's not that tough to do even 45 or 50 weeks of the year at that time. But I got to tell you, that's quite an assignment from noon Sunday Till the next Sunday. Wherever you are, whatever you do, however you keep yourself busy, that's quite an assignment. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, Peter says, You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. Oh, I love those words. 
You are a holy nation. And you are, he's talking to believers here. He said, you are a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him. Do you know what peculiar means? It means you're different from the rest of the world. Why? Because you're chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're part of the king's family, if you know Christ. That you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And in one of the versions it says, into his marvelous light. Either one, I love it. Christian friend, People aren't going to want to hear about the marvelous light until you show them that you are out of the darkness. People aren't going to be interested in your light message if you're still in the darkness. People aren't going to be impressed with your expression of faith and you're, you're explaining to them about the light of the Lord if you're living in darkness. And so they're not going to want to hear about the light unless you've shown them that you are out of the darkness. Now, we show, and all that to say, we show our wisdom by our behavior. So one way or the other, Left, right, or center, good, bad, or indifferent, we show our wisdom by our behavior. Choosing your wisdom. Not only does James tell us to let our wisdom show, but he also tells us, secondly, that we should stay away from false wisdom. And we're going to go to verse 14. I'm going to read three verses, 14, 15, and 16. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. There's some pretty heavy stuff right there, and let's go back and take a quick look at it. Specifically, when James, James mentions bitter envying and strife. In verse 14, he said, but if you have bitter envying and strife, and, 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 and this is prominent in your life, it's in your heart, he says, don't glory in that, and don't lie against the truth. And don't talk about one life and live another. Apparently some of the readers that James was, was addressing this letter to were harboring envy and selfish ambition in their hearts. You see, the opposite of the meekness of wisdom is bitter envy and selfish ambition or strife. And if these things characterize us, though we may boast of our wisdom, Our whole life is a denial of the truth, and that's what he says, don't deny the truth, of the truth revealed in the person of Jesus. Dwight L. Moody once told the fable of an eagle 
who was envious of another eagle that could fly better than he could. So one day the bird saw a sportsman with a bow and arrow, and he said to him, I wish you would bring down that eagle up there. And the man said he would if he had some feathers for his arrow. So the jealous eagle pulled out one of his feathers from his wing. And the arrow was shot, but it didn't quite reach the rival bird because he was flying so high. So the first eagle pulled out another feather and gave to the sportsman, and then another, and then another, until he had lost so many feathers that he himself couldn't get off the ground. The archer took advantage of the situation, turned around, killed the helpless bird. Now, Moody made this application. Listen very carefully. If you are envious of others, the one you will hurt the most by your actions will be yourself. It's like drinking poison and looking for someone else to die. It's not only were the ones James spoke of full of envy and full of selfishness, but they were boasting about it. Can I remind you? He's writing to Christian believers. He's writing to first century believers. He's writing to people who had, some of them had encountered Jesus and others of them had heard firsthand stories and others, others of them had seen the, the life-changing effect that Jesus has on people. And so they were right there. Now, what kind of wisdom is filled and he, and he uses a comparison or a contrast here in verses 14 through 16. What kind of wisdom is filled with all kinds of evil, uh, evil and then brags about the evil? I'll tell you what kind of wisdom it is. It's false wisdom. You have two kinds of wisdom. True wisdom, which is from heaven, which is of God, and false wisdom, which is not. Counterfeit wisdom. Worthless as a plug nickel. You can use it, you can't count on it, you can't bank on it, it won't get you anywhere. All, I guess all it probably is good for is to do a bit of boasting, if that's what you're all about. It's not from above, James says. Those aren't very strong words, but when you analyze them, they're mighty powerful. James said, this kind of wisdom descendeth not from above, but he says it's earthly It's sensual, and it's demonic or devilish. It's not from heaven. It's from earth. Wisdom, can I just say this? Because we have a lot of really nicely well-educated people in the room, and I don't want to insult your intelligence or, or, or the intelligence of anybody. But can I just say this? And can we all agree on this? Wisdom is not Smart. I got to tell you, some of the smartest people I've ever met have got to be the dumbest people I've ever met. Some of the not so smart by the world standard people have more wisdom. I'd listen to them by the hour because wisdom just comes out of their heart, out of their character. Smarts are not always very smart. 
I took three years of pre-med, which, mean I, which means I was, I was studying a lot of science, biology, chemistry, all the good stuff. And um, I got so confused in the scientific world. Someone said, do you believe in evolution? I said, which one of the 32 theories? I said, well, I've kind of narrowed it down. I said, the belief that there was nothing and nothing happened to nothing and then nothing magically exploded for no reason, creating everything and then a bunch of everything magically rearranged itself for no reason whatsoever into self-replicating bits, which then turned into dinosaurs. Now that makes perfect sense. Smarts are not wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3.19 For the wisdom, I love this, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. I love, people, I love it when people say, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Where's a, you, <laughs> you're also a dreamer. You're very deluded. There's no such thing. And your wisdom is nothing but foolishness in the sight of God. You're wise in your own craftiness. That's as far as it goes. This kind of wisdom, James says it very clearly. It's not spiritual. It's sensual. It's unspiritual. This is behavior which is typical of human nature. It's the natural part of us in contrast with that which is under the control of the Spirit of God, which is the spiritual nature. Instead of being from God, it's contrary to Him. Stay with me. If it is contrary to God, then it can only mean one thing. From whom did it come? If it's contrary to God, from whom did it come? Or as we say it today in America, where did it come from? From? Thank you. If it's contrary to God, anything in your life, if it's contrary to God, where did it come from? You mean only five people here are going to say it? If it's contrary to God, where did it come from? See, I was going to tone it down a little and say the devil, but you're getting right out there and naming him. So if it's contrary to God, I don't care what it is. I don't care what area of life. So many of us want to compartmentalize. We got the church, we got our faith, we got our Christian testimony. Keep that kind of quiet. Then we got work and school and play and friends and socials. And we compartmentalize all that stuff. Well, let me just tell you, if God's not in every one of those compartments or departments, then you're dealing with something that's contrary to God. And if it's contrary to God and didn't come from God, then who did it come from? James is making some stuff real clear here. I'm probably muddying the water for you, but I I specialize in that. James makes this rather clear by saying, where there's envying and strife, there's confusion. He's talking to the Christians here. And there's every evil work. Those aren't my words. Those are James' words. And he was the pastor 
of that New Testament first century church. Wherever you find this kind of wisdom at work, you find the devil at work. You say, there's division. There's, there's bitterness. There's envy. There are people trying to get ahead by stomping on other people. There are people competing with each other. People putting each other down. That Wherever you see that, you're finding the devil busy at work. And can it happen in the church? Well, obviously, because James is addressing the church. You'll find sowing division. You'll find arguments. You'll find discord. You'll find things that cause bitter feelings. You'll even find anger. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, just for your notes. Paul said, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Stay away from that kind of wisdom, for it will only leave you empty. So number one, we show show our wisdom by our behavior. And number two, we should stay away from false wisdom. Choosing your wisdom. And everybody has to make this choice. So clearly, the other side of this this whole equation is my third point. If we're going to stay away from false wisdom, then we should seek true wisdom, and I want us to go to verses 17 and 18 of James chapter 3. Why don't you read these with me? Huh? But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, what? First of all, then it is peace-loving. Oh, man, we could just stop there even. Also, it is considerate and submissive and Full of, and full of mercy and full of good fruit, impartial. Now, now, don't take that down. Well, if we could have it back just for a moment. Just feast your eyes on those descriptive words. Why? Because we all need them. I need them. You need them. The church needs them. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Isn't that interesting? First of all, pure. Why? Heaven's pure. Why? Because Jesus is pure. There is no guile found in him. There is no sin whatever. And no sin is found in him and none ever was. And there's isn't even the ability to sin. Then peace-loving and considerate. This could describe a marriage too. Submissive. Full of mercy. This is Paul. This is a James writing. Paul reminds us of it in Ephesians chapter 5. Full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and... I love the way pure and sincere are the bookends of this verse. And all that other stuff is in between. Wisdom from above. Fortunately for us, James didn't leave us hanging and he gave us some helpful hints as to how to distinguish what is true wisdom. Yeah, and first he says it's pure. That word means to be pure from fault, pure from defilement, pure from accusation, pure from doubt, just pure, pure, pure. If you're pure in heart, you'll be pure in mind. This is the basic characteristic of wisdom. So the basic characteristic, the number one basic 
characteristic of wisdom is is purity. The number one basic characteristic of wisdom is purity. Second, it's peaceable. Gentle. Mm. Mm. Maybe some of us have to work on some of these. By the way, that peace he's talking about, it goes further than what we call inner peace. It's opposed to any kind of strife. It's peace between people and peace peace between people and God. It must be peace that affects the community. And, And as we know it, Christians must not only prefer peace, but they should also seek to spread it. It's gentle, he says, at all times. And that's the exact opposite of self-seeking. Could be my banker. (laughs) If it's David Carter, tell him I'll get right back to him. Gentle at all times is the exact opposite of self-seeking. It doesn't demand its own right. Rights, 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 rights. And before anybody says it before me, I want to tell you, I have my rights. Because I want to get in on the game. I tell you, our society strives to avoid any possibility of offending anyone except God, our God. Have you noticed that? And that's becoming more prominent every day. And if you haven't noticed it, you aren't awake enough and you need to really get on the ball. Everybody has their rights. Everybody has their rights. Everybody's holding some kind of a placard. Everybody's protesting. Everybody's marching. Everybody has got a a song to sing. Everybody has their rights. But why isn't it, why is it that nobody has a, a placard that says, I'm taking responsibility. Rights without responsibility are empty and vain promises. That's all they are. I don't have to listen to you. I have my rights. Well, good for you. Is Is that right married to a responsibility? Is that right come out of taking responsibility in some area for your life? If it is, then we'll talk. If it isn't, you're just another parade going down the street. The opposite of self-seeking doesn't have to demand its own right. I've seen this. I hate to say it, and I'm telling you the truth. Cross my heart. Hope to die of Scout's honor. But look, I've got to tell you, I've seen it in churches over the years. I've seen it amongst Christian people. I haven't lived in all the history of it, just some of it, but I've seen it right here in our community, in this town, and in this region. It's awful. It's ugly. It's bitter. And I think a lot of it has never really been resolved or settled, and that's even worse. 
Seek to be gentle. I'll put it another way. To be gentle is to make allowances for others, to temper justice with mercy. It's the kind of treatment that we want to receive from others. And then James says it's easily entreated. That's the concept. He uses the word here. Submission. You read it with me. And this quality is the opposite of obstinacy and self-seeking all the time. It is a readiness to yield. What is submission? It is a full readiness to yield to someone or something else. Heavenly wisdom is reasonable. Ooh, where did that go? It is flexible. It is willing to listen And it's willing to change. I know that's the dreaded C word, but we use it quite a bit around here. Just like good soldiers willingly follow orders from their superiors, people with heavenly wisdom willingly follow God's orders and respond to God's correction. And then the other thing that James says about this kind of wisdom is it's full of mercy and good fruit. Wow. It's full of God's gracious forgiveness. How many of you are enjoying God's forgiveness? I don't mean enduring it. I I mean enjoying it. Wow. There's nothing like it. To know that you're forgiven. It's a one-time thing. You don't come to God and say, oh, oh, I want to be forgiven. 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 Oh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive If that's the mode you're in, then you don't understand God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is single. It's one time. The blood of Jesus Christ covers it all. Matter of fact, it covered it all before you ever sinned. It covered it all before you were ever born. It covered it all before you were, when you were just a, a, a gleam in somebody's eye. It covered it all from the foundation of the world, according to my Bible. He knew the plan. And so why shouldn't we enjoy the fullness, tell me, of God's forgiveness? And his love that comes out of that forgiveness leads to practical action. And that's when we start wanting to help others. That's when, we want, that's when we get to the point we want to serve others. That's when it gets to the point where others become more important than our own agenda. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me so to live for others that I may live like thee. Others, Lord. Yes. Others. On the human scale here, I'm going to try to get everybody's attention back. Please hear me. Christian, hear me, hear me, hear me. We should always be willing to forgive. Even, are you listening? Even when the problems we're facing are somebody else's fault. That was very tepid. Why? Because I don't think in churches today that kind of stuff's taught. And Christians just go on their merry way trying to cover stuff. I'm going to say it again. We should be willing to forgive even when the problems we're facing are somebody else's fault. 
You say, can you illustrate it? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. I certainly can. Picture, if you will, and in just, I think, four weeks out, it'll be Easter, but picture right now, if you will, in your own mind. Draw that picture on the screen of your own mind. Picture Jesus dying on the cross. Just picture that. Just picture. You have your own image. It's fine. It may not be the same as the person sitting next to you or mine. It doesn't matter. But we all have some image of Jesus dying on the cross. You got it? Have you got it? Why, why was he dying? Because of sin. Was he dying on that cross because he did something that was his fault? Was he dying on that cross because he deserved to die? Was he dying on that cross then because everything that was charged against him was somebody else's fault? Whose? Let's say it right. Mine. Don't point at anybody else. It was my fault. It was your fault. Yes, it was our fault. And did you ever hear, see, read, experience, Holy Spirit revealed to you that really, really, Jesus did it, but he's still holding that grudge. He's still mad at you for putting him on that cross. He's still really mad at me for putting him on that cross. Was there ever any hint of that? No. No. Thanks for asking for the illustration. Say, well, I'm having problems. I'm mad, and I'm not... Oh, really? What's the problem? Oh, it's that mother of mine. You know, she... Okay. When did that happen? No? 31 years ago. Oh, Going to forgive her? It's her fault. Look. <laughs> I deal with people a lot. People say, I'll go back to church if they apologize to me. I'll come back to faith community if Pastor Todd will shape up and apologize. <laughs> Just kidding. I'll, I'll, I'll do this if so-and-so apologizes. I just, I'm waiting for the apology. See, the apology has to at least equal, if not be more, uh, carry more weight than the forgiveness you're about to mete out. And that is not godly forgiveness. Godly forgiveness, number one, starts with grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And, 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 and God's forgiveness starts with kindness. That word even precedes love in the Bible. And God's forgiveness starts with his undying love. And God's forgiveness starts with his desire to have fellowship 
with you and with me, not just today, but forever and forever and forever and forever. And I want to quote from a writer that I, I just recently come in contact with, so to speak, and been reading. And here's what Bro says. He said, life becomes easier. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Listen to this. Listen to this. I don't think I have this quote on the screen, but I'll get it for you if you're writing. Life becomes easier when you learn to accept an apology you never got. Woo! Let that filter down. Did you catch it? Do you want it again? It's up there? Good. Wow. Wow. Live in the sunshine. Come to life. A woman went to a photographer one day to get her picture taken, and she insisted the photographer do her justice. And after studying the woman for a while, the photographer said, Madam, may I suggest it's not justice you need, but mercy. (laughs) Finally, James tells us that true wisdom is impartial. How many can remember the last word? Started with pure and it ended with? What did it end with? Let me tell you where that word came from real quickly. Sine sire. Sine means without. Sire means wax. No, seriously. And so when people wanted to put on a face, they didn't have uh, Estee Lauder and Revlon and Chanel number 52. All they had... You know, all the stuff we have, to, all our beauty today is either in a can or a bottle or some kind of a box, but they didn't have it then. And they would use a form of wax, you know, get rid of the wrinkles and make yourself look younger and all. Did it work? I don't know. But, but that wasn't, if you can just picture this, when you get waxed up and you, and you, you, were, you were beautiful, that wasn't the real you. But when you didn't get the wax on, ladies, you didn't get the, the spray. Someone said if the, some women would pray as much as they spray, we'd have revival. But if, 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 if you... <coughs> Do you hear about the Pentecostal lady that got the cans mixed up? So she put hairspray under here and she put deodorant up here. And she couldn't get her hair up or her hands down. <laughs> it's okay to laugh in church. Have a time. Sincere means without wax. I don't need the makeup. I can just be the real deal. What you see is. What you see is. There it is right there. That's what sincerity is. Putting on some kind of a show. Putting on some kind of a front putting on some kind of veneer, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm great, aren't I? Just, wait, wait, I don't want to throw my shoulder out, but i got to pat myself on the back here. That's not sincerity. And that's where that word came from in the ancient language. Pure and sincere. Love those words. I really do. Abhor that which is evil. Love without hypocrisy. Do we have Romans 12, 9? Are we going to put that up? I don't remember if I have it or I don't. Love must be what? Sincere, without wax. Hate what is? 
evil. Cling to what? What is good. And uh, that says quite a bit right there, doesn't it? Mm. The fruit of righteousness. If we seek to have true godly wisdom, then we'll receive, I believe, the harvest, which is the fruit of righteousness. To raise a harvest of righteousness demands a certain kind of climate. A crop of righteousness cannot be produced in the climate of bitterness and self-seeking. A crop of righteousness in your life cannot be produced in the climate of bitterness and self-seeking. Righteousness will grow only in a climate of peace. And it must be sown, and it must be tended, and it must be cultivated by the peacemakers. Such people not only love peace, but they live in peace, and they try to create conditions of peace. I love it. So, folks, James tells us there are two kinds of wisdom. False wisdom comes from the devil. True wisdom comes from God. False wisdom is full of envy and strife and bitterness and selfishness. But on the contrary, true wisdom is full of purity and peace and gentleness and submission and mercy and truth. And it is sincere. And it honors God. Quite a choice, huh? Quite a choice. Hopefully you read chapter 3 of James again and you'll realize you're really into something here. It's choice-making time. So my question is, what kind of wisdom are you going to be seeking after? My prayer is that you, God will always lead you, starting today, starting right now, into really and rightly and righteously choosing your wisdom. A really great message in this song that we're going to play like you to listen to it because it's part of the message and it just kind of complements and and completes all that I want to say today. Thank you for listening. God bless you and I love you. i
suspicions that I'm still a man in need of a savior I want to be in the light as you are in light I want to shine like the stars in the heaven oh, oh, be my light be my salvation to be 